everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Oh man, let's land this ship and let's turn me down a little bit. Thank you. So we've been talking about, for the last few weeks, koinonia, and uh, we, uh, we're just going to put a bow on this uh, uh, today, and, uh, and uh, we'll just be grateful for what God has been sharing with us uh, when it comes to koinonia. And so uh, we've basically been saying with koinonia, if you're, if you're new here, uh, first, time, first time with us today, uh, koinonia is, is a Greek word. It's a Greek word, and it's the idea of just you know, sharing together. Uh, sharing together, together, having a common, a common bond. Um, if you see, if you read in your Bible, it's the word fellowship. When you ever see the word fellowship in your Bible, uh, that, that's what koinonia is. So, so today we're going to uh, talk about um, prayer. And then I, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about um, something to add to your prayers. Before we jump into that, um, I, a couple years ago, my family and I, we went up to uh, the Petoskey area. And uh, we were hanging around in, in one of the towns there in Petoskey or around Petoskey. I don't remember exactly which town it was. And so there was a lot of us. There's a lot of us in our family. And so we were hungry. Was, and so we were, figured it's too many, too many of us to try to find one place to eat. So we sort of decided that let's just split up and try to find our own, our own food. And so we did. We, we all kind of split up. And we all sort of went to different places to see if we can you know, get some food. And so um, I, my son and I walk into a pizza place, and uh, my brother uh, was already in there in his, with his family. And as soon as we walk in the door, my nephew walks up to my son, Nathan, and he puts his hand, hands on his shoulders and said, Nathan, I just ordered a pizza that it has, and he started listening, it, it has pepperoni, it has beef, it has sausage, it has ham, and he was going on and on and on about all these meats that were on this pizza, and my sons kind of look at him going, like, kind of like, and then I, I go to my brother and I said, has, has he never had a meat lover's pizza before? And, and my, my brother Eric goes, no, I don't think so. He, he goes, he just has been eating cheese pizza. And so we show up to this pizza place and he sees this pizza with all these meats on there for the first time, apparently in his life, his parents were just ordering cheese pizza. Maybe they would throw some pepperonis on there uh, for a while. And his world was changed from that day. My brother Eric says that things are now more expensive these days because now he's ordering things with meat on them all the time. Anybody remember this time when you moved as a kid, you moved from cheese pizza to like now there's like actually other toppings that you can add to your pizza? It's glorious. It's amazing. Well, we were there for his first experience of a meat lover's pizza. And he, I mean, even the next day, my, my brother-in-law, Corey, was saying he was still talking about it. It had ham. It had sausage. It had beef. It had like, he was still talking about this meat lover's pizza. All right. So, so today, listen, listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Today, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want you to, to take anything away from your prayer life. All I want you to do like a prayer pizza, I just want you to add some toppings to it. 
I just want you to add a couple toppings to it. Okay, sound good? Sound good? Okay, so a um, few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, again, we've been at this for like seven weeks, man. This has been, and honestly, I'll tell you the truth. Here's the truth. I, I don't know what it was that inspired me, God, I, I guess, to, you know, which inspired me to talk about, I know, I'm not that spiritual, uh, to talk about koinonia. And I, I'm like, koinonia, and I'm thinking, all right, God, all right, God, I guess I'll, I, I can muster up like a few weeks of koinonia. This is now week eight of this, all right? So God had a plan, and I didn't. Okay, so we talked about in Acts 2, uh, church just came together, got together, uh, just exploding. Thousands of people are coming to know Jesus as their Savior. And they now were, they were now, thousands of people were coming together. And it says this in Acts 2.42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is um, essentially they didn't have a Bible then like we have now. They didn't have like what we have in our hands, whether it's, you know, a, a physical Bible with, you know, written word on, on paper or a digital Bible, which is all good too if you, if you use your digital Bible. They didn't have that. They didn't have that at that time. So they just, the, the apostles would just teach things that Jesus taught. They would just share with the people what they heard you know, from Jesus. That's what they would, they would do. And so, so people would come around the apostles and the apostles would share, you know, different stories of, of Jesus, parables that Jesus told and concepts that Jesus taught and the way of the, you know, the way of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus would share those things. And so that's what they taught the people. And so they were continually devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship. So there's our, there's our word koinonia uh, to, to fellowship, which is this deep rooted, you know, relationship common bond together, even though, even though there were so many different people from different backgrounds, different experiences, different upbringings, different ideologies, uh, they were brought together into, into one common uh, thing. And then it says into breaking of bread, uh, which was the idea of, again, to, to be a good Christian, you got to eat. Um, and so they just love to, they love food. Uh, to, they love to break bread together. Okay? So food was, aren't you so glad that as a Jesus follower that food is an integral part of our faith? Can I get an amen in anybody? Can I get a Pentecostal amen in here? Okay, I know we're not Pentecostal, but let's hear some of that, all right? And so, and so it's to breaking of bread and to prayer and to prayer. So here it is. So today, so today is, is, is about this idea of prayer. What did they pray for? For, okay, so in order for us to understand uh, as we move forward, here's the thing that we need to remember, okay? None of these things right here, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer, is what started the church. None of these things started the church. As a matter of fact, it wasn't because of any of these things that the church began. Why we are sitting here today, why we are in something that we call church, none of these things were the reason why that happened. It wasn't certainly because of Jesus's teaching, because to be honest with you, Jesus's teachings were, were tough. I mean, Jesus would tell, tell you things like, hey, I'm not telling you to, to pray for your family. I'm not telling you to pray for your friends. Jesus taught you should even pray for your enemies. So you're not sitting in church today because you always love the teachings of Jesus, okay? And, and, and you're not in church today because you just enjoy hanging around people that are different than you, are you? 
That, and they were so different, and we talked about that weeks ago, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to this series. They, they, you're not in church today because of that either, because of fellowship or because of koinonia. That's not why the church began. And, and maybe you're in church today because somebody promised you to take you out to lunch after church. That might be. You're like, we'll break bread. You listen to this guy's sermon. I'll buy you lunch. You're like, if you got bribed to be here, Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. All right, take it up with the person that bribed you. Um, but it, it, and it certainly wasn't that. And, 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 and it wasn't even because of prayer, even though prayer is a good thing, a positive thing. It wasn't because of any of those things. The reason why, the reason why, and the reason why I do what I do, and the reason why you gather here with us today as a, as a church body, the reason why that, that the church began and the church exploded and thousands of people, thousands of people, thousands of people came to know and put their faith in a Nazarene named Jesus, who was the son of a carpenter, is because of this. Many people were eyewitnesses to a resurrected Jesus. The only reason, the only reason why we follow Jesus. It wasn't because of his teaching. It wasn't because of his prayers, even though he prayed differently. It wasn't because of breaking of bread, and it it certainly wasn't because of fellowship. The reason why, the reason why you're a Christian, or the reason why you should be a Christian if you're not a Christian, is because not a few people, not a couple people, but many, many people were eyewitnesses to a resurrected Jesus. And their message was, their message was from the very onslaught of when Jesus resurrected and he spent 40 days on earth and then he ascended into heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Their message was was this. Here's their message in Acts 4. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. He says, this is the only, and he says, the reason why there's no other, no one else, the reason why there's no other name, and the reason under heaven that there's been given among mankind which must be saved is because of what they saw. They saw Jesus die, they saw Jesus was buried, and they saw Jesus resurrect. You're thinking, is this Easter? Am I here on an Easter Sunday? It was, am I? No, this is not, but this is the message, this is the core of our faith, okay? So the beginning church, the beginning church um, they had balance. They had incredible balance. They had, they had balance. So in f- the first thing that they had on one side, the beginning of the church had balance. On the, on the one side, uh, they had, they, they built up one another. They built up one another to be a benefit to their community. They built up one another to be a benefit for their community. So the reason why I say they had balance was this. Fellowship was important to them. Praying together was important to them. Coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ and breaking bread was important to them. Coming together and hearing the teachings of Jesus, the gospels, the the letters of, of the apostle Paul and Peter and John and others was important to them. But that wasn't necessarily all that they did. 
And the danger, the danger is this. The danger is this. The danger is, is that when, and, and sort of the, the gravitational pull that we have as, as Jesus followers is to, as a church, is to start thinking and focusing inward. And I spent, and this is now week eight, I spent eight weeks talking about how we are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ and, and how we should, you know, be in fellowship together and how we should come around the teachings of Jesus and, 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 and you know, how we should, you know, break bread and all these things that we have been talking about for the last eight weeks. And it's so easy for us and it's so easy for any church, any church, to start to look internal. And that's an easy way for a church to die. And that's an easy way for a church to lose its mission. And so I don't want this to get lost. As a matter of fact, this was an essential part of their prayer life. That they didn't stay internalized. They didn't look inside. But they were from the inside out. They were from the inside out. They were building up one another. They were building up one another to be a benefit to their community. That was the goal. That was the purpose. That was their mission. Listen, we need to be a church that builds up one another. Why? So that we can be a benefit to our community. I talked about this last week. I want, I want, and I, my prayer is, and I hopefully it's yours too, that when people that move into this community, that they see specifically, they see Market Street Church as a benefit for their family. That they see us as, an, as a benefit, not, not a hindrance and, and not, you know, anything else other than just a benefit for that they moved into a community. And then within that community, there's a church that not only they build each other up, but they turn and they are a benefit and they serve people in their community. That's what my prayer is for this place. Make sense? So that's, that was their prayer. That was their prayer. So um, we're going to look at Acts 4, and we, I already showed you a verse, uh, Acts 4.12, which is what they, were, they came around. There's no other name under heaven which you can be saved. That was, their, that was their message. Why? Because they saw a resurrected Jesus. Well, that didn't make a lot of people happy in their community. That message nobody liked. And the reason why, and the reason why, if you're a Jesus follower, is because the enemy hates that message. And the enemy, and, and Paul says, listen, it's not about flesh and blood. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against powers and principalities and darknesses of this world. He says, that's what this is about. And he says, and when they were preaching Jesus, the enemy didn't like them preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And as, as a result of that, they got a lot of flack, a lot of flack. You think being a Jesus follower now is hard? You should have been a Jesus follower at this time in Acts 4. So it starts out in verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. So so this is specifically talking about uh, two of Jesus's uh, main guys, his main uh, original followers, Peter and John. You've, you've heard these guys' names before, Peter and John. And so that Peter and John were speaking to the people, and the priests were there, and the captain of the temple guard were there, and the Sadducees came up to them. Now, you also have to remember this. This is, not, this is just 
literally months, maybe two months after many people saw a resurrected Jesus. This is not years have not gone by. This is just weeks have gone by. And they're speaking about, and they're speaking to the people, and they're saying, and here's what happens in verse 2. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. As a result of that, here's what it says in verse 3. And they laid hands on them and they put them in prison until the next day, for it was already evening. Then, look what it says next, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000 people. So here's, here's what you need to know. While, while the enemy, while the enemy, while the enemy was laying hands on Peter and John, God was laying his hand on thousands of people. Isn't that cool? So when Peter and John were being moved, not, not nicely, when they were being grabbed and thrown into a prison cell, while they were, that was happening, God was laying his hand on thousands of people and thousands, 5,000, it says 5,000 men, which in the Bible, Bible terminology means that there was 5,000 men, but there was also women and children there. So there was over 5,000 people that day that believed in their message, that believed in their message. So if you're curious about what their message was, here's what it is. Here's what it was. The message was, you killed him, we buried him, he's now risen, and we've seen him. That was their talk, right? Every time. You killed him, we buried him. And now, listen, these are the people that actually killed Jesus. These were the same people. The same people that Peter and John are, are talking to were literally the same people. People that were part of the, you know, the priests, the temple guard, you know, that we, we looked at earlier, uh, the, 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 the Sadducees, the Pharisees. These were the people that Peter and John are, are saying to, you killed him, we buried him in a borrowed tomb, but now he's risen and we've seen him. Oh, and by the way, they also said, Say you're sorry. It's true. This was the outline. This was the outline. And then, so that's their message. That gets them thrown into prison. But here's what, here's what happens. And this is sort of the keystone verse for, for this message today, okay? Here, here's what it says next in, in, in Acts 4. That was their message, right? Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Isn't that interesting? They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. They're looking at Peter and John and as they're going, as they're looking at these guys that literally killed Jesus, you killed him, we buried him, but we've seen him, and he's alive. You should say you're sorry, and you can get grace anyways. And they observed 
them. And they saw their confidence. They saw their, in other versions, their boldness. And they're like, these guys? Peter? John? You know what I heard about Peter and John? These guys are just fishermen. Like, they're just like, like, they just go out on their boat. Like, they dropped out of Levitical school early. And they just did, they took up a craft of being a fisherman. And, and, and now these guys are like boldly proclaiming that Jesus is alive. And they're like, these guys are uneducated. These guys are untrained. And they were amazed. They were left in wonder. And then they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You see, here's the good, here's the good news for us, all right? Here's the good news for me, anyways. Here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Come on, everybody. You can go through the scriptures. You can start from the very beginning and to the end, and you'll see. You know what you'll see? That you'll see that God uses the foolish things to confound those who are wise. I am a standing personal example of how God uses uneducated and untrained men. I, my education is from Waterford schools, everybody. Like, I have no business. Exactly, exactly. I have no business standing before you. Sorry for those that go to Waterford schools. Um, <laughs> An educator at a Waterford school. And so I, we're trying to put, continue to put. Okay, so I am a standing example of that. Listen, God can use anything. God, listen, the Bible is full of examples. I mean, David, remember David was a shepherd boy. Do you remember the story? You guys should read your Bible. It's a great story about how there was a young boy named David and, and, and nobody wanted to fight this giant by the name of Goliath. Have you heard this story before? I'm not sure if anybody. Okay, good. We have people that know the story. Okay. And so this is just, this is foolishness, right? This is foolishness. I mean, God used somebody like Moses. Moses was a shepherd, you know, for 40 years. He just killed killed somebody in Egypt, and God's going, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to deliver my people out of captivity. Doesn't that sound foolish? Doesn't that sound foolish? God told the nation of Israel to march around a wall seven times around Jericho. Does that not sound foolish? And they did, and they did, and, it, and, and God came through. Listen, this is the story. This is our story. That God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And here's the thing. Those, those of us, those who spend time with Jesus, confound others who observe a confident faith. You know how you have the opportunity, even though you may be considered to be a foolish thing? You know how you and I have an opportunity to confound others? By those who spend time with Jesus. And when you spend time with Jesus, you will confound 
others and they will observe in you, in you, in you, a confident faith. And you're like, I'm highly educated. I am well trained. Even better. Because if God can use an uneducated and an untrained person, God can use, certainly use. And you know who was that? An educated person and a well-trained person? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was not like Peter. The Apostle Paul was not like John. He was very educated, and he was very well-trained, and God used him in an incredible way. But you know why? Because they all had this thing in common. They all spent time with Jesus. And so, they didn't like that. They didn't like that. And so they said to them, listen, you need to stop talking about the resurrection. You need to stop teaching about what many have seen. And so they said that in Acts 4.18. And when they had summoned them, so they bring Peter and John out and they stand before the, you know, the, the Sanhedrin council, uh, the same that you know, convicted Jesus to death. And he says, and when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And here's their response. Here's their response. Such boldness, such confidence. I want you to see it. Verse 20. For we cannot... Stop speaking about what we have seen, not what we, have t- what we were taught, not what we observe, but he says, but what we have seen and heard. And so they said, that's up to you to decide what to do with that. So then they let them go. They let them go. And I said, here's where we're going to pick it up in verse 23. When they had been released... They went to their own companions and reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so they go back. There's now probably 120 Jesus followers gathered together in this room. And then when Peter and John were released, they go back to them and they reported everything that happened, everything that they went through and everything that they experienced to the chief priests uh, and what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Then it says this, verse 24. And when they had heard this, They raised their voices to God with one mind and said, and so now we get to see the very first prayer recorded in the early church, in the beginning church. We get to see their first prayer, and here's what it says. Go back if you could. Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. And then they said this in verse 25. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why were, now they're they're quoting from a psalm written by David, Psalm 2. Why were the nations insolent and and the people's plotting in vain? Verse 26. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Verse 27, for truly in this city, 
They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And then look what they say next, verse 28. To do whatever your hand and purpose predestined to occur. So, pause. What's in the prayer so far? What's in the prayer so far? Okay? What's in the prayer so far? Here's what's in the prayer so far. Okay? The Lord is a sovereign creator and all things are under his predetermined control. Wouldn't this be a nice thing to add to your pizza prayer? Lord, you are a sovereign creator. You are in charge and you are in control. And no matter what, whoever wants to come up against you, all things are under your predetermined control. Why? Because you're the one God. You're the one God. You're the one God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. Wouldn't that be a good start to your prayer? Wouldn't that be a good addition to your prayer? God, whatever is going on in my life, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. No matter what's going on in my life, God, you are always in control. I hope that that just gives you a big breath of relief. Under your circumstances, God, you're sovereign. God, you're in control. God, these people try to come up against you. So what's in the prayer so far? Notice this. Nothing, this is so good. Nothing is too against God that he can't use for his purposes. Come on. They're going, listen, like Herod, King Herod tried to stop this. I mean, Pontius Pilate tried to stop this. Gentiles tried to stop this. The people of Israel tried to stop this. And here's, what, here's the thing. God already had a purpose in place. God already had a plan in motion. It didn't matter who was against God. Why? Why? Because here's what we know from Paul's writing. When God is for us, who can be against us. Nothing is too against God. Nothing that is coming your way that you feel like this, this seems to be too big. This seems to be too insurmountable. This seems to be too much against me. There seems to be too much piled on within me. I, there's, there seems like there's no, there can't be any way. But listen, nothing is too against God that he can't use for his purposes, Right? a good addition to your pizza prayer. What else was in the prayer? What else was in the prayer so far? God is always good and always good on his promises. Do you know what they were quoting when they were quoting from Psalm 2? 
They were quoting Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is one of the oldest written psalms in the Bible. It was written, it was written prior to when they, when they were using it. So they were able to take Psalm 2 and, and, and apply that to their situation. Apply that to the threats that they were getting. Apply that to them being thrown into prison. Apply that to them being persecuted because of their faith. Apply that to, listen, if you keep talking about this resurrected Jesus, you know, th- bad things, ch- hard things are going to happen to you. And as a matter of fact, they did. It didn't get any easier for the early church. It only got more difficult. And their death, their death, We're just becoming now sport for people. And 1,100 years that was written in Psalm 2, 1,100 years prior to this, they were able to pull a verse 1,100 years ago and apply it to their life. Listen, here's here's the news. God is always good and always good on his promises. In other words, when God says he's gonna do something, he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. And if God makes a promise, he's good on his promises. And what was written 1,100 years prior to this now came and was culminated in that moment for the early church, for them to see, yes, God, yes, God, you are in heaven. And here's a part of Psalm 2 that they didn't quote, but I'm going to give it to you today because we have it. Look at this. He who sits in heavens laughs, and the Lord, Lord scoffs at them. Anyone who tries to oppose God, anybody who tries to stand against God's people, anybody that tries to come against God's will, he's up in heaven going, <laughs> that's so funny. That's so cute. I don't care if it's a king. I don't care if it's a dictator. I don't care if it's a president. I don't care who a prime minister. You name one in all of the world with any kind of great authority. If they think that they're going to stop the will of God, if you think that you're going to stop the will of God, you've got something else coming. And so do they. He who sits in the heavens laughs at those who try to come against the predetermined purposes of God. The Lord scoffs at them. I hope that if God is your heavenly father, you know the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. Oh, you know the one that you can go to and get and stand in his presence, in his throne room, because you can have the confidence to do that. I'm now getting way ahead of myself because I have a verse for that. (laughs) He sits in the heavens and he says, I am always in control. And I hope that your prayer life is going, that's my father. That's my father who I can go to. That's the confidence that I have. And here's their prayer. Hang on, everybody. 
Because look what they pray now. Verse 29. And now, Lord. So prayer so far, we covered that. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence. Wait a minute. Can I be honest? I'm just be honest with you. That wouldn't be my prayer. My prayer would be, Lord, keep me safe. Lord, protect my family. Lord, can you give me a hedge of protection? You're like, what does that even mean, a hedge of protection? Have you ever prayed that prayer? It's like from Job or something like that. You heard somebody else pray. You're like, that sounds good, a hedge of protection. I want that. Isn't it sort of still, oftentimes, our prayers? Keep me safe. Keep my family safe. Protect me. And thank you for the food. (laughs) Can I just keep adding toppings to your pizza prayers? (laughs) Like, keep doing that. Listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. You keep, if you like those toppings on your pizza, you enjoy that. But can I just introduce you to some more toppings? He's a sovereign Lord. He's the creator and the maker and sustainer. He's the one that holds all things together. He is in control and he already has a predetermined purpose for your life. Just add those. But also add this one but also add this one. Barna did a study just for fun. Let's just look at it. Barna did a study. Barna, if you don't know who Barna is, they do a lot of church uh, surveys. They do a lot of studies on church world. Uh, So what we primarily pray for, toppings that are already on your pizza. Uh, The needs of my family and friends, 61%. Personal guidance and crisis, 49%. My health and wellness, 47%. Confession and forgiveness, 43%. Safety in my daily tasks, 41%. Blessings for the food, 37%. Does it sound like your prayers? These are mine. We can be honest here. You're like, no, not me, pastor. No. I just put me in a harmful thing as long as it's in the name of Jesus and he gets glorified. Okay. Okay. All right. But here's what I want. Here's what I want. Here's what, here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that 100%, 100% now, 100% of the time that you pray, that you add this, to speak God's word with fullness. That's, that's what their prayers were. In the midst of threats, death threats, we'll kill you if you don't stop speaking about a resurrected Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in America and in Western culture, and I've never had that. I've been scoffed at. I've been laughed at. I've been ridiculed. Big whip-de-doo. These people were thrown in prison. These people were, you know, Kill, burnt at the stake. I don't know how graphic you want me to get here, but, but their, their prayer was still, God, help me to speak God's word. God, help me to speak 
who you are with boldness, with confidence. Let's make that our prayer 100% of the time. And then they said this, verse 30. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So what do they pray for? Just to recap, what do they pray for? Well, they prayed for more confidence with a faith that confounds, right? That's what they prayed for. They prayed for more confidence. Why, why should you have confidence? Because he's Lord. He's sovereign Lord. You're, you're praying to the, to, to the creator. You're praying to the one who controls everything. You're praying to the one who's in charge. You're praying to the one who 1,100 years prior to, you know, you know, was good on his promises. That's who you're praying to. So they just, with more confidence in, in God, in his plan, and with a faith that confounds others. And a faith that people look at us, untrained and uneducated people, and go, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. They must spend time with Jesus. So, let's add this to your prayer pizza let's be not only people that build each other up but we build each other up so that we can be a benefit to our community and we are going to walk into our community and we're going to walk into our workplaces and we're going to walk in, into wherever it is that you go and do life. And your prayer and my prayer is just to say, God, would you give me the boldness? Would you give me more confidence to be able to share Jesus with my friends, with my coworkers, with family? with people that are in my sphere of influence, God, would you just give me boldness? And more I spend time with you, Jesus, the more that people will see my faith and the more that people you spend time with Jesus, the more people will see your faith. And I'm telling you, it will amaze it will amaze. And they'll go, him? Really? Yeah, I just spent time with Jesus. Boy, you got some confidence. Well, it's more like, it's not self-confidence, it's Godfidence. I don't know who coined that, but I like it. It's just Godfidence. It's Godfidence. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are, young, old. Would you just pray this prayer? Would you just add this to your prayers? A hundred percent of the time. Because you know who your heavenly father is. And you know what he's capable of doing. 
and you can say, God, you've given me the authority to proclaim your word with boldness. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, I need, I need some more boldness when it comes to sharing my faith with people that need to know that there is no other name in which you can be saved. Because you know what made that church and informed that church? They knew, they knew that every single human being was destined for eternity somewhere. Somewhere. And they didn't want to live in fear and miss an opportunity to share that there's no other name other than Jesus in which you can be saved. So 100% of your time, keep praying for your food, keep praying for your family, keep praying for what to do with wisdom, keep praying for how to handle crisis, keep praying for all those things, but would you also just pray, God, would you give me confidence? God, would you give me a faith that confounds the wisest of people because I'm with Jesus. Lord, mm. koinonia is about building each other up with the purpose of being a benefit to others. And within this koinonia fellowship, God, I just pray, Lord, that we pray together, individually, but yet also corporately, just, just help us to be more bold, more confident, whatever word we want to use there, God, just to, to confound others because of our faith, not because of anything that we did. We're just, we're just like Peter and John. We're just untrained, uneducated. God, it doesn't require those of us in the room to go to seminary school or be Bible scholars. It just, it just requires us to oftentimes to be available, to make ourselves available. And God, if we just start by you, just approaching you because you tell us in your word that we can come to your throne, that we can come to your throne with confidence and we can get help from you. God, you as the, as the creator, you as the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it, God, you welcome us into your throne room where we can get help from you, where we can get confidence from you that we wouldn't otherwise have it, that we can get boldness from you where we wouldn't otherwise have it because of the work and the power of your Holy Spirit within us to enable us to do things that we certainly can't do on our own. 
Because I know God, I know and you know God that there are people in our lives that just don't know who you are, who your son is. And God, I pray, Lord, that we are that vessel. We are that mouthpiece. And it starts with us just coming to you, God, and asking you to give us that confidence. And you tell us we have not because we ask not. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that we start asking. And you hear us because you promise that you do. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.